to our Bible study, if you want to turn there in your notes or your Bible, Joshua chapter 5. <clears throat> Love the title of the message tonight, He Rolls Away Our Reproach. And reproach is, it, it means shame. And uh, not only has Jesus bore our sins, but he has bore our shame. And we'll see that the Lord does that for the nation of Israel as they're getting ready to go in the promised land in, in a place they would name Gilgal, which means to roll away. And so uh, it's funny, a lot of these, uh, the names in here and so forth, uh, it, it will be as basic as you can be. You know, Gilgal, he's rolled it away. But what a glorious truth. And even just studying that this week and be reminded of it. I'm like, man, I want to get that in my heart. You know, the Lord's, the Lord's Gilgald for me. He's rolled away my reproach, bore my sin, bore my shame. We have an awesome God indeed. Well, just setting this up tonight, we know the spies now have returned from Jericho. And we'll come back to Rahab's house where they stayed and I won't touch a whole lot on her tonight other than, you know, um, just what a beautiful picture of faith. And think about it this time. The spies have returned there to give the report to Joshua. The people's hearts are melting. And no doubt Rahab's in the process of, you know, going out and evangelizing her family, her friends, and so forth, and getting them ready to, you know, get into her house with that scarlet thread so that they would be in that house of salvation. And uh, we'll see beautifully here in a few chapters that that place is packed brim to brim as uh, she's taking her newfound faith out to those around her. And listen, a very wicked place. Jericho was about to be judged by God. Um, you know what? Very, very much like uh, uh, much of our nation, I believe, right now, and, you know, we, we can take a page out of her book. She was out saying, listen, there's hope. There's a place of salvation. Let's do the same thing. And so in the meantime, again, the spies return to, to Joshua with a great report. You know, he's saying, listen, the people's hearts are melted. Let's go. The Lord's giving it over to us. And we see Joshua rising up and going to the people and telling them to sanctify yourself. Um, again, it was a people of faith, um, positionally, practically though, uh, between coming out of Egypt and even their time out there east of the Jordan, there was a lot of things practical in their life that, that they needed to deal with. And to sanctify, it means to make holy. And it was a call to put those idols down. It was a call to bring sin they've been making provision for before the Lord. And we see this theme throughout the book of Joshua. You really want to move forward in the Lord. You want to be in that place of living the abundant life, abounding in those fruits of the Spirit. And someone whose life's marked by the, the Holy Ghost, we got to be a people that, again, aren't making provisions for those things. But a people not walking again, I always try to put it like this in legalisms, but absolutely a people that want to be holy. They want to be set apart for the Lord. They want to live for the Lord. Um, we'll see part of this tonight as well. Practically for them was circumcision for the males. Uh, and yet in that, we'll see the Lord bringing a healing on them. And again, taking away their reproach. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but you know what? Again, when we come to Christ positionally, he does take away that reproach. 
And as we draw near to him and we let things get cut out of our lives, he takes away that reproach. And, and sometimes that's painful. You know, let's be truthful about it. We, we, how often are there idols and that sin that easily, you know, it stumbles us that at the same time there's a hatred of it, but our flesh loves it and it becomes a refuge and a, and, and, you know, it kind of like, you know, people say comfort food, it becomes comfort sin. And when people got to break away from it, sometimes there's hurt and pain and there's worry involved in it. But I'll tell you, the Lord will always heal his people and take away the reproach and then bring us into a deeper walk with them in a land of milk and honey. And I think we get a real clear picture of this in here. So Joshua had started that process, sanctify yourself. And then remember, he told the people to follow the priest. And the priests were gonna step into the Jordan. And as they stepped into the Jordan, the Jordan would split. It wasn't gonna split before they stepped in, but they needed to step in and take a step of faith. And then it was gonna split. And we saw them doing that. And I love that phrase there. It says, the priest went forward and they stood on solid ground. And we really spent a little time on that, how the Lord causes us to take steps of faith. And when we do that, our flesh oftentimes will say, well, no, I can't step into this, into this river, so to speak. This looks suspect and so forth. And that's why it's a step of faith. But as you trust in the Lord, look at it, it's the most solid ground that you could be on moving forward in the Lord. And we saw who, all who followed the priest, uh, they stepped through on solid ground as well, and all the whole group came through. And before the priest fully got out, we saw that instruction to take 12 men from each tribe and go get 12 stones. And they were told to set up a memorial. And the reason for that, remember, was for their children and that next generation for them to teach with that memorial. So they take him to that memorial to teach him how the Lord opened the Jordan and brought him out of the wilderness into the promised land. And beautifully, they were faithful to build that memorial, but we jumped ahead to Judges chapter two, and we saw, sadly, they were not faithful to teach their kids. And, um, you know, we, we spent a little time on that and used that as a platform, as, as an exhortation for us, you know, we want to be teaching our kids and, again, communicating the gospel to them. And it's one of our highest calls. If you're a parent in here tonight, a grandparent, we, we got a, a responsibility. And we don't want to grow weary in that. I think sometimes parents grow weary, especially when you get teenagers and so forth and young adults. And you got to keep plugging away. You got to keep praying. You know what? You got to keep ministering to them and interceding for them and you know, at pointing them to the Lord, that when they're old, you know, they won't depart from it. And we're told to instruct our kids in the way of the Lord. And I, I just, my heart breaks for so many youth, you know, in our world who, who don't know the Lord and they weren't even raised in the things of the Lord. So they don't even know where to turn. And the best thing that you can give to your kids, the, the greatest inheritance you can give to them is the word of God and the gospel of Christ as well as them seeing you live that out, not seeing an hypocrisy in you or, you know what, we act one way at church and then we act a different way at home. And I think that can be the greatest stumbling block and oftentimes is the greatest stumbling block with, with children and so forth. So God grant us grace and mercy in that as a church. 
And so we come here to chapter five and let's just unfold this. Again, we'll, we'll see this call and a distinction between those that have passed and the generation going in and that they hadn't been circumcised. And as they would step forward in that, which was part of the sign of their covenant with God, that that reproach would be taken away and it would be part of their sanctification to get them right up to the edge of going into Jericho and God giving them this phenomenal victory as they begin to move fully out of the wilderness and into that land of milk and honey. So verse one, it says, excuse me, so it was when the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the children of Israel until we had crossed over that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. Now I wanna just take one step back with this and we'll talk, we'll catch this up here in a second, but look at these are the same kings that had made the previous generation 40 years earlier the men of God shaking their boots. Remember, they had gone in with those 12 spies, and we've touched on them a few times here in the study of Joshua, and 10 of those spies brought back the report, and I got it here for you in your notes, Numbers 13. It says that they came back in verse 27, we went to the land where you sent us, it truly flows with milk and honey, and there's fruit. And the Lord said, it will flow with milk and honey. And then nevertheless... And this is sad because if, instead of just said, yeah, it's as God described, let's go, their flesh came up with a reason not to step out of faith. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified very large. Large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And so there's giants in the land. And Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. And then that's when Caleb said, no, no, let's go. And we know Joshua reiterated that, let's go. God's gonna give them into our hands. But verse 31, the men who had gone up said, we are not able to go up against the people for they're stronger than we. And that was true if it was just them, but the Lord was going before them. God had given them promises. God said, you go in, you're gonna get a victory. And they gave the children of Israel bad report of the land they had spied out, saying the land which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And the people that we saw are men of great stature. Uh, They were the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. So, and so uh, we were in their sight. So again, they leaned on their own understanding. And as they looked at these, men in the situation versus looking at the Lord and trusting in the word, their hearts melted. Again, we're reading about the kings that they were to go up against 40 years later, their hearts are melting. But again, sadly, they leaned on their own understanding because God had given them promises going back all the way to Abraham that when the time comes for you to go in, I'm gonna give you the lamb. I mean, it couldn't have been any clearer. And God's word's not written as in a bunch of riddles. It's clear. Look, there's promises that God's given to us. Walk in this and you'll be blessed. Take a step of faith and be blessed. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. There's no riddle in that, is there? There's no mystery in that. 
There are mysteries in the scripture, but seek first the kingdom of God and I'm gonna take care of the rest. That's a step of faith. It's not one of those, but what did Jesus really mean? He couldn't make it any clearer. And in like manner, again, God had told Abraham in Genesis 17, verse eight, I give to you and your descendants after you the land which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession and all be their God. And instead of looking to the Lord, again, they looked at the situation and their hearts melted. Oh, they're bigger than us. We're like grasshoppers. It's, it's, it's too big of an operation versus standing back and go, let's just, let's just think on God's word here. Let's get God's word in our heart. Let's take God's word to take these thoughts captive because those were lies. That's how the enemy works and the flesh works. And the world thinks. They bring lies that they try to throw them over the promises of God. And that's where we take the promises of God over those lies and those lies get put down. They get put in check. We know in Exodus, God told Moses in Exodus 6, 4, I have established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan and the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And in between this, God had reiterated that to Isaac and to Jacob as well as well as to the 12 tribes when those promises or, you know, what Jacob prophesied to his sons there at the end of Genesis. And then again, there in Numbers, we see God telling Moses right before they went in, send out men to spy the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the children of Israel. Go check it out. In other words, I'm giving to it. Go check it out. Seek me, get a strategy, and then go in and take it. But the men went in and again, they looked at the situation versus the Lord. Look, this is applicable to us. How often do we do it? How often do we allow those thoughts to come in that they contradict God's word and God's person and we lean on our own understanding versus just saying, step back, let me remember who my God is. Let me remember what God spoke and all this came into existence. Let me remember that my next breath and the breath I just took is given me by God. Let me remember that God sent his son and he died on the cross for me and he resurrected from the grave. That I'd move forward and step forward in faith. And that's how those thoughts are put down by the truth of scripture. In specifics saying, well, what's God's word say about this situation? What's God's word say about this conundrum that I'm in? What's his word say about the, you know what, the path that he's calling me forward in? And we just need to know this as a result of their lack of faith. They didn't go into the land of milk and honey, but instead we read of them 40 years in the wilderness. And you read of all the antics that took place out there, all the plagues that broke forth. God was still faithful to them. Praise God, he is faithful. Their shoes never wore out and they had manna every single morning. But they could have been in the land of milk and honey where the wells were already dug, the houses were already built, the vineyards were already planted. They could have walked right in, but instead they leaned on their own understanding. And there's ramifications in our life when we don't heed God's word, when we don't want to act by faith. So many, I think of Hebrews eleven six. but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For who comes to God must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And when we don't take steps of faith and trust in God, again, the Lord loves his people, but 
We're not living a life that's pleasing to him when we lean on our understanding. And we come up with all the reasons why I can't walk in what God's called me to walk in. It's not pleasing to the Lord. Because the Lord's saying, come and, come and follow me. Let me bless you. Let me, I want to birth those fruits of the Holy Ghost in your life. I want to pour out power in your life. I want your life to make an impact on those around you and be one that shines for me greatly. And it's also him saying, I want to reward you. And again, many of those things I just touched on are those rewards. But a life that is not marked by faith, again, is not a life lived to the pleasure of God, and it will lack eternal rewards. And then again, I touched on it, but Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean out on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. So again, a life that just says, I want to find all the reasons why I don't want to trust in the Lord or why I can't do what God's calling me to do is not going to be a life led by the Lord. But again, as you lean on your own understanding yourself, and it's going to be a life of crooked paths. It's beautiful when you say, I want to do it God's way. Boy, it's just straight. It's clear. It's concise. You know, the Bible just lays things out. Take the next step. Trust in me. Don't worry about what's going on. You don't need to shake and shiver in your boots because of the state of your country or the state of your state. God's on the throne. God's ruling and reigning on high. The Lord's on the throne. Now listen though, 40 years later, things have changed. And they haven't changed, but they've changed. Now all the king's hearts on that other side, their hearts are melted and there's no spirit in them. And we should ask the question why. It's partially said here. Listen, it's because in part the Lord just dried up the Jordan before them. Again, in Jericho, they probably literally saw it happen. You can see the Jordan River from Jericho. They saw it dry up. They saw it split. They saw a couple million people walk through it. Not a couple thousand, a couple million. And then they saw... When last dude stepped out, the waters return. Your heart's going to melt, especially when you know they just destroyed uh, two great kingdoms on the other side, and now they're coming for us. Their hearts melted in that. But listen, this added to where their hearts already were. Because here's the thing, not only did 40 years earlier, God give them the promise that they didn't heed, but God was already going before them and those kings that they were melting, oh, the sons of Anak, they didn't realize that the sons of Anak and those kings and nations, their hearts were already melted at that point. God was already going before them. We know that Rahab had said in Joshua 2.9, I know that the Lord has given you the land for the terror of you has fallen on us and the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. She doesn't mention the Jordan at all. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt. These dummies went in there and 10 of them said, oh, our hearts are melting. And they didn't even realize the people that were looking at, the enemy they were looking at looked so big. Actually, they were melted inside and they're like, they were all talking. Can you believe the Lord dried up the Red Sea and brought them through and destroyed Egypt? God's always working on our behalf. 
God's always working the angles that need to be worked for his glory and honor and praise. And then on top of that, again, they heard about the kings of the Amorites on the other side of the Jordan, and now they're talking about the Jordan that's being shook. Look at, we have an enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities. And know this tonight, the enemy of our soul shakes at the thought of the hand of the Lord moving. We read there in James 2, 19, you believe there's one God, you do well. Notice, even the demons believe and tremble. The devil, the demons, they tremble at the person of Jesus Christ. When the hand of God moves, I mean, how many times do you see Jesus casting out demons and those demons just, you know, trembling? Did you come to torment us before our time and whatnot? But here's the thing on top of this. They were also trembling now even more because the children of Israel were actually stepping out in faith and now they weren't leaning on their own understanding. Now they're saying it's time to move forward in the Lord. We've been in the wilderness too long. Let's be led by the Lord. That's the big thing that's different. The people of God were moving by faith in the Lord. Hear this tonight, Satan doesn't shake one bit at the thought of lukewarm, apathetic believers who don't take steps of faith, that just wanna live a life of hedonism, seeking their own senses and pleasures. He doesn't shake one bit. And that's a lot of the church today. Not my opinion, please go read Revelation chapter three and many other commentaries in the epistles about the end times church. Oh, we're not in the times. Actually, the end time started at the ascension of, ascension of Jesus Christ. And as I look around and see things unfolding, the Lord said, when you see these things unfold, look up, your redemption draws nigh. Listen, we live in a world that is very much like the days of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, very much like the days of Noah, when the thoughts of men were continually upon wickedness. And I don't really see as I look around, much of a powerful church in the United States of America. I don't know anyone's heart, but I just look at the fruit. You look at the carnality. You, 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 it, it just evident all around. Devil don't shake, don't, his, his knees don't knock at that. In fact, I think he stands back and applauds that. Oh yeah, this ain't, gonna, this ain't making any effect. But hear this, when the people of God trust in God and act according to God's word, he begins to shake. These kings are a picture of the devil. There's many of these types of Satan throughout the scripture. I think about Nehemiah, when he went to rebuild that wall that had been busted down around Jerusalem. In Nehemiah 2.10, it says, when Sambalat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite officially heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Sambal is a type of Satan in the scripture. Again, those walls were down. The people were apathetic. It, it says in Haggai that they were more concerned about paneling in their house, which wasn't just a roof over their head, but it was living in luxury at home while the temple of God laid in ruins. That was the state of the place. And Nehemiah showed up and again, was concerned. 
said, we got to get this wall up. We got to get this reproach off the people. And he was a man of prayer. And Sambalat was deeply disturbed about that. And I just wonder tonight in our gathering here, again, the Lord's going before us. The Lord loves us. And I don't want to spend too much time thinking about this. But my hope would be through the work the Lord's doing in our lives in this fellowship, in our lives individually, that there's some disruptance, dis, disrupt, disruption, disruptance, dis, how do you, there you go. Man with the blessed shirt on back there, he copied me. Very, very peculiar. I felt, felt someone follow me around and they showed up with the same shirt on. You know what, that, that, that the enemy's quivering a little bit. That he's on his heels a little bit. My, my hope would be that he'd go, look, there's, 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 a, there's a little group, group, group of folks and they love the Lord and they want to grow in the Lord and they want to follow the word of God and their concern and they're praying for their community and they're taking the gospel out to it and, and they're trying to stand for righteousness and they want to grow in the love of God. They, they know they're sinners and they're only saved by grace and they're concerned for their neighbors and they want to be marked for holiness. They want to live according to the heart and mind of God. Look at that makes the devil shake in his boots. And not that I want to be focused on the devil. I want to be focused on the Lord. But listen, the Bible says we're not ignorant to the vices of the devil. And I think too many times the devil has propped it up too high. I ran a, ran a Christian, how you doing? Oh, the first thing out of their mouth. I've shared this before. Oh, the old enemy, the old enemy. You know, everything about the enemy coming out. Man, man my God's rose, risen from the dead. Yeah, there's an enemy. I don't want to be ignorant. But, but let me tell you about my God. There's no match with that enemy with my God and who my God is. Again, you see in Esther chapter 7, Haman, another, another type of, of Satan. And uh, it says there in verse 7, verse 6, and Esther said, the adversary and the enemy is this wicked Haman. The Lord had put her in a position to expose this guy's wickedness. So Haman was terrified before the king and queen. And I think that book's a great example of a man moving by faith in the midst of great wickedness and with great plots to try to destroy the people of God. And he said, I ain't bending my knee to you. I don't care what you say. I will not bend my knee to you. I'm gonna stand in the Lord and God bringing deliverance just from a couple folks, a couple ordinary folks. And even in that, was not God working, you know what, working things that, that they weren't even aware of when he, again, reported that there were some plots against the king and then later on that would come out. And, you know, what can we do for a man that would, you know what, save the king? And Haman thinking he's talking about him, put him on a horse and parade him around. We'll go do that for Mordecai. I love that scene in the scripture. Zing, well, he would have burned, you know, but God was working a work. And then I think of Acts 15, or 1915, um, when some men tried to pass, cast out demons in the name of Jesus who Paul preached, and that evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know him, Paul, I know, but who are you? So in other words, he knew who Paul was. And again, the, the, the emphasis on this isn't, you know, I don't want to be the devil, but again, it shows clearly that when men and women say, I want to follow the Lord, the devil's knees begin to knock. And again, the emphasis isn't on us, it's on our God 
And God will go before us and go before you when you take steps of faith. He'll do it every single time. Verse 2, at the same time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. And there in Genesis 17, this was part of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Now we know Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. But God wanted them to be a people set apart. And so this was the outward sign of their covenant with God. There in Genesis 17, 10, he said, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And if you drop down there to verse 13, and my covenant shall be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. So an evidence of their faith that saved them was circumcision. You can compare a New Testament believer We're called to be water baptized, but water baptism doesn't save anybody. Circumcision didn't save anybody, but it's something we're called to. It's an outward profession of our faith. And listen, there's a lot of cultures even in the world today, they don't take anyone seriously about following the Lord until they're ready to go out in the public and be baptized. Because oftentimes when they're baptized, they're disowned by their family, everything changes. They know there's a cost in that. They know they're cutting things off and there's probably gonna be some ramifications, but they're willing to do that because they trust in the Lord and what God has for them and they know they're sinners and they wanna be known as a follower of Jesus Christ. Side note with this, listen, make no mistake, everything in the Levitical law was to the benefit of Israel. Go look at the diet that they had. Go look at the laws of cleanliness the things that the Lord did not want them to mix. This would be for their benefit to this day. There's tremendous health benefits in circumcision. Now, you got freedom in the Lord to do as you will. But the thing I wanna make the point in is that the things that God calls his people to is always to bless them. I got a few facts there, how that reduces to this day, prostate cancer, lowers the risk of urinary infections, There's way few more medical conditions, and these are studies by the Mayo Clinic and others. So that's a side note that, again, is a, we have a freedom in. The point I wanna make in God doing this, this wasn't God doing something cruel to them. It sounds cruel, does it not? Very painful, especially as a grown man, especially this next generation. But all the things God called them to was for their benefit sometimes we say oh god's calling me this is going to hurt me no the things god that the things god calls you to will bless you even when it's god calling you to cut things out of your life and it's painful what god will bring is so much better and i'll tell you the cleanliness of the jews even in the last few thousand years even as they were dispersed over the face of the earth keeping that levitical law Look, at it saved them as a people. No other people were able to keep their identity like Israel has scattered for 2,000 years with great oppression. But these guys were able to survive so many plagues that came and no one could figure out why. And oftentimes it made people hate them more. And it was simply because they washed their hands in running water. 
Go look at the history of plagues, how many of them spread because everyone was using still water in the same water, thinking they're getting clean when they're just spreading disease. But as they walked in those things, God blessed them. And the same's true with us. Now again, in Christ, we know that we know that that he circumcises our hearts. And you read their commentary in Romans 4, where it talks about again, Abraham was saved by faith, and then the circumcision was a sign of that faith. And then again, it says it's the second circumcision. And I'll just jump ahead for a second. In verse five of this chapter, the people who came out had been circumcised. So the generation that passed away, they didn't have faith to go in. They were circumcised. The new generation, those born in the wilderness, were not. And this is how they distinguished that second generation from that first generation. It's one of the ways they did that. Now let's read verse three through seven here. And Joshua made flint knights for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of foreskins. Again, they're not very creative in the name of places and so forth. I'm not gonna comment anymore on that. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt, who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way, and they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people of war, excuse me, till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed. Notice why, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. God said, go into the land, I'll give it to you. Instead, they lean on their understanding. We're not gonna obey God thinking they'll be better off. And as a result, they were consumed. Sin will consume you. When we go our own way, we think it's the better way. Destruction always follows. Again, they didn't obey the Lord. There's blessings in obedience. Absolutely. It says, to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to the fathers, he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Because again, they just want to look at the giants whose hearts were melting versus the promises of God and the milk and honey that he said, go and take. Then Joshua circumcised the sons who he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Again, they distinguished that first generation from the second. And this is the thing that's interesting. The fathers who were consumed because they didn't obey, they looked the part but they didn't have the faith. And then think about this, the next generation, they didn't look the part, but they were actually moving by faith. They were willing to cross the Jordan. And as I just thought about that, I thought about, you know, the Lord's rebuke to Samuel when God said, go anoint another king. And, you know, David's brothers are coming out. There's one that's extra spectacular. And he says, this must be the guy. And the Lord says to him, the Lord does not see as men see, For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I'll tell you, in 25 years of ministry, I've learned to be especially aware of folks that look the part and talk the talk, but they don't bear fruit and actually take the steps of faith. We don't want that to be us. I don't want to be that. I have to examine my own heart in that. It's easy to fall into that place. We don't want to fall in that place. That's a dangerous place. And again, our hearts are circumcised when we come to the Lord. Colossians 2.11, in whom you are also circumcised with circumcision without hands, but putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So there's spiritual application. 
Again, the spirit, the heart circumcised when we call upon the Lord. But here's the thing, listen, to move forward now in the Lord, as we've already touched on, we do have to cut off things of the flesh in our life. And if they had gone in without being circumcised practically, God would have opposed them. He 100% would have, because he wanted them to go in by faith and according to his prescribed manner. We see a clear example of this with Moses. Back in Exodus chapter four, verse 24, God was telling Moses to go in and again, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And it says, after uh, Moses just had this big interaction with the Lord in verse 24 of Exodus 4, and he came to pass on the way at the encampment, and the Lord met him and sought, sought to kill him. Think about that. He's had this interaction with the Lord at the burning bush. He's getting ready to go back in. We know later it says he's the most humble man on the face of the earth, and he's going in, and God meets him, and God's going to kill him. And why? It says then Zephora, that was his wife, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast at Moses' feet and said, surely you're a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. Then she said, you are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. He had to circumcise his kids. Again, he was trying to do it his own way. And God said, I am, I'm opposed to that. I want you to be my guy, not your own guy. And you need to follow me first and lead your family in the way of the Lord. Again, I think of how many people, they don't step by faith, and sadly, at times, it's because even their own spouse or family around them says, you're going to choose me or you're going to choose the way of the Lord. That's a tough place to be. But I'll encourage you, man, as you follow the Lord, if your, if your wife knows the Lord, she'll follow you. She might just need to get used to you following the Lord and taking those steps of faith as well. And again, if we want the fruits of the Spirit in our life practically, we need to do the same thing. We read in 1 Peter 5, 5, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble and carnal living's prideful living. Leaning on my understanding, I'll do it my way, not your way, God, that's pride. Again, Moses was a humble man, but in this case, he's walking in pride. I'll do it my way. God says, I oppose you. But when you say, okay, Lord, I wanna do it your way, even help me, Lord, I need your help. God says, I'm gonna give you grace to help you then abound into what I'm calling you to do. We see scriptures like Romans 13, verse 12, therefore cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Again, this call to crucify or cut off the things of the flesh and be a people who wanna walk in holiness. Say, well, let's do it God's way. And here's the thing, if you take grace to live it up in sin, you're not gonna have those fruits. You're gonna be in that wilderness place. There's gonna be a lack of joy. There's not gonna be a reward found in that. These guys stepped in faith and the reward was, again, the land of Canaan. And listen, according to what Jesus teaches in Matthew 5, 27, and I wouldn't judge anyone's heart, but we should judge ourselves, a person may not even be saved if they look at grace just to be used as a license to sin. Because notice what the Lord says about cutting things off. In verse 29 of Matthew 5, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it away from you. Circumcise it, cut it off. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish. This is Jesus speaking. This is the red letters. <laughs> than for your whole body to be cast into hell. 
Is he saying literally pluck out your eye? No. He's saying those things your eyes are feasting on, you need to cut that off that you would bear the fruits of a believer. These are the words of Jesus. That's not Pastor Steve, you know, coming up with, oh boy, you know what, that's hard to listen to. These are the red letters of Jesus Christ. Better to cut it off than be cast into hell. And then he says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast in hell. And here's the thing, when people got to cut things out of their life, they think, oh boy, it won't be good, I'm going to perish. But really, you flourish when you do that, and it's the evidence of one that has real faith. Verse 8, it says, so, when, so it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their place and camped till they were all healed. And then the Lord said to Joshua, this day I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, therefore the name of this place is Gilgal to this day. And listen, I touched on this when we started. Oftentimes when we're called to take steps of faith and cut things out of our life, it's painful. There's hurt involved. There can be fear and worry involved because we have comfort sins and that thing we've gone to to try to find comfort over the years. But when we say, I'm ready to cut it out, Lord, I'm ready to take a step of faith, God always brings healing and he always brings more of an abundant life. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. How many people have read that and said, if I deny myself, I'll lose life. That will be hurtful. That will be painful. I take up my cross daily and follow me. Oh boy, then I gotta take up a cross? But he says, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Do we believe that? And then notice what he says. It says, he, the Lord said to Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, for the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal means to roll away. And again, a reproach means a disgrace or shame. And there was a shame on them before when they refused to trust in the Lord and go into Egypt. And then on top of that, the things they brought out, Egypt, out of Egypt with them and the idolatry and stuff. And they're at the place I'm laying it down. And here's the thing, when we come to Christ, practically or positionally, the shame's rolled away. And when we say, I want to abound in the Lord, God moves us forward in a new life that there might be a reproach from the world, but there's a life shining under the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And in you were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he, has, now he has reconciled in the body of the flesh through death to present you holy and blameless, above reproach in his sight and without shame in his sight. It's not beautiful to know. He's borne my sin and he's borne my shame. Verse 10, now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight in the plains of Jericho and ate the produce, produce of the land that day after Passover and let him bread and parched grain on the very same uh, day. And the Lord had told Moses in Exodus 13, listen, when you go into the land, celebrate Passover. And God had timed it that it would be time of the year for that. Go in and do that. And I love it. They're going in and they're walking in obedience. Again, one step after another. Let's keep going in this. And they celebrate Passover 
as well as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And what a reminder of their deliverance and what an encouragement, a foreshadow of what God was gonna do next. And again, for us, we know our Passover is Jesus Christ. And absolutely, he's called us to purge out the leaven of our life. He talks about purging out leaven in a fellowship. In fact, he says there in verse seven, therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you're truly unleavened. And indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. And so listen, I want to abound as a new lump, not an old lump. This is just encouragement for all of us. Let's take steps of faith. Let's bring struggles before the Lord. Let's take those things that we're, you know, we're, we're looking as crutches and comfort that aren't and trust in God that he's gonna go before us. I laugh even when people go, oh, you know, Jesus is your crutch. No, all this sin's your crutch and all this sin is your your, you know, your safe space is not space at all, safe at all. The Lord says, take a step of faith and trust in me. I'll go before you and I'll bless you. Now notice verse 12, we're almost done here. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the lamb and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate food of the land of Canaan that year. This shows they're maturing. As they're taking steps of faith, they're maturing because they're going now from having manna every day to trusting God every day that they're gonna go forth and the fruit of the vine's gonna be there. The cattle is going to be sustained. If they have to hunt, it's gonna be there. Milk for a baby and a meat for the adult. The baby says, I got mama, here comes mama. And when you get old, I go hunt and trust in God. It's a call to move forward to the Lord. If you want to move in faith, that's how it is. Again, the baby gets coddled. I'll just stay here in my safe space and be here. No, we got to rise. It's time to go trust in the Lord. And I don't see, I don't see the manna, but I know God's going to provide. I know God's going to go before me. I don't even need the coddling, the fuzzies and so forth. I know my God will provide as I step out in faith. That's where God wants to move you to, that you just know. I know that I know God's gonna go before me. We don't see it versus before. I remember when I came back to the Lord as a young man, I would get these, you know, actually in the years where I was backslidden, I struggled with so many things and there were so many confusions and voices and I'd cry out to God. And, and again, you can take this or leave it. It's, it's my experience, but I would feel this comfort come on me from the Lord in the midst of just darkness where God would just say, Listen, I'm, I, I still love you. I get it all the time. But I'll tell you, on the night, I was 22 years old when I'm like, I looked around and I'm like, I'm gonna be dead or, or in prison or something if I don't change what I'm doing here. Listen, on that night, by God's grace, I believe he kept me from, from killing somebody. And, and I went and I surrendered to the Lord and it was the first time that I had never felt any of that. I'm like, what's going on? I don't have that feeling. And I know what it was. God knew I was serious. And he was like, you're not getting that now. Now it's time to move by faith. Now it's time to trust in me. I had no idea what the Lord had in store for me. But I'm glad he did that. Because it was time for me to start stepping out in faith. And start living for him. And listen, also, when you step out in faith, he always provides. They ate the, the land, the food of the land. They got up that morning, no, no manna. Let me look around. Oh, God's providing me over here some artichokes or whatever, whatever it was. 
And again, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. Verse 13, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked and behold, a man stood opposite of him with a sword drawn in his hand and Joshua went and said to him, are you for us or for your adversaries? And this is a startling. You ever look up and someone's just there? Oh, where'd you come from? And then imagine they have a sword in their hand and this was no ordinary man. It was apparent he wasn't a Canaanite. And as we read this, it's absolutely clear this is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. We'll see in a second Jake, or, uh, Joshua worshiping him. And there's no rebuke. And him acknowledging him as Lord. You see this in Genesis 12. The Lord came to Abraham's house. I believe, actually, I think it was 18. Genesis 18. 17 or 18, one of those. Genesis 32, Jacob wrestled with the Lord. Exodus 3, the Lord appeared to Moses at that burning bush. Daniel 8, Daniel 3, that should be, in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those, some of those numbers are off. But notice a sword in his hand, and we see a sword in the Lord's being coming out of his mouth at the second coming in Revelation 19. We know the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than every, any two-edged sword. And we know where to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And listen, even practically, the Lord said, if you don't got a sword, go sell something and get a sword. He says, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. But also there's a place, the Bible says, if a man is to provide for his own family, he's worth, worse than an unbeliever and has denied the faith. And again, this was a, this was a, a, a representation of the sword of the Lord. And Joshua says, are, are you for us or for your adversaries? And notice verse 14, and we, we, we'll come back to this a bit next week because we're almost out of time. He just says, no. Are you for us or our adversaries? No. What kind of answer is that? But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell to his face <clears throat> to the earth and worshiped. And he said, notice, what does my Lord say to his servant? And there's a great truth here. We'd be, be well to remember. Yes, God is opposed to sin. And he's opposed to the proud. That's true. But he's not against any man in that he desires all men to come to himself. And there were some in Jericho that were saved by faith. And even as this was going on, there was people piling into Rahab's house. There was a mini revival happening in Jericho. And it was the Lord saying, I'm, I'm not against Rahab. I'm not against those Canaanites, these that are repenting. And we need to remember that, yes, the Lord is for us. Who can be against us? But the Lord's wanting to see these people that don't know him come to him. Think about John and James when the Samaritans rejected Jesus. Lord, let us call fire down like Elijah. I didn't come to destroy lives. I came to save them. Why hasn't the Lord come back? Come back, Lord. When's our stake going to fall into the ocean? God says, I want to see him saved. I want to see him born again. That's why he hasn't. Praise God, he waited long enough to break it off so we can get saved. Again, he's the commander of the army of the Lord. Are you in his army tonight? Notice the scripture, endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare engages himself with the affairs of this life that we please him who enlisted him as a soldier. It's what we're called to. I want to be about the business of God and the army of the Lord. And notice he says, I have come now. 
He had come, he came, and praise God, he's coming again. And I love it. Joshua falls on his face and he worships, calls him Lord. Remember John in Revelation twice, he worshiped the angel and he was like, what are you doing? I'm your fellow servant. Don't worship me, worship God. This is the Lord. It's an appearance of the Lord in the Old Testament. And I love what he says. What does my Lord say to his servant? We should ask the Lord every day that. I'm your servant, Lord. What do you say to me? And then open up the word of God and let him speak to you. And then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you're standing is holy. And I love it, Joshua did. Do this, yes, sir. And he says, do it because the ground you're on is holy. Why was it holy? Because the Lord was standing on it. And here's the thing, not only is he holy, but he makes holy whatever he touches. Touch us, Lord, amen. amen. Meet us where we're at. Boom, look at that, one till eight. We'll come back to that a little bit next week. It's so awesome. But Heavenly Father, we praise you tonight. We give you glory and honor. We just thank you for being so good to us. We thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, let us be a people of faith. Let us be found a people trusting in you, Lord. Not leaning on our own understanding. Lord, not God putting the ways of the world and our flesh above you. Oh, Lord, forgive us for the times we've done that. Forgive us for the times when, Lord, we've convinced ourselves that our adversary is greater than our God. You are the great and mighty God, Lord. Just grow us in you. Grant us grace and mercy. We just thank you that you're compassionate. Oh, Lord, I rejoice that you have bore our shame. You are so good, Lord. Lord, I know you love everyone in this place. And Lord, if there's any here who haven't called on you tonight, Lord, I know you're wanting to save them. I'll tell you again, the name of Jesus. Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one who did bear our sin, our shame at the cross of Calvary. And when we call on him to be our Lord and Savior, he meets us where we're at. Where we're at. If that's you, you haven't called on him, do so tonight. Can't encourage you enough to call upon Jesus and let him just wash you and meet you, bear your sin, bear your shame, and go before you as the Lord of your life. We just bless you, Lord. Let us take that message out to this world that just desperately needs you. Lord, bless the rest of our time here, our fellowship. We just thank you that you're so good. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and we said together, amen. God bless you.